Hey everyone, welcome back to Sophomore Citizens. Okay, so today we would love to give you an update for our check-in on our door dashing adventures. As we have previously mentioned, we have been driving all over the city of Los Angeles, delivering the beautiful people, their foods, their items, everything that they need. The three of us have got it. So Gigi, would you like to tell us a little bit more about some of the experiences we have encountered while dashing? Of course. So first, I would just like to make it clear that this endeavor of ours has been to support the the podcast. Like Mm -hmm. this is our side hustle to support the podcast. We're trying to, you know, fund some new mics, get our gear state of the art. We just want to make sure everything is tip top shape to create the best content for all of our wise babies. So with that being said, um, I'm first going to start with a little anecdote or a little sharesies that may not seem related to dashing, but I'll find my way back, don't you worry. So lately I have been using the words king and queen very, very frequently. I think a lot of us, you know, will use queen like, oh, for your friend, hey queen, or oh my gosh, queen on like the Instagram caption or uh, comments or whatever. You know, it's a way to lift up your friends. And I also do quite like using king. Like I'll use king with some of my guy friends when, you know, let's say my friend does a does a favor for me. Shout out Oliver the one time that he fixed our audio for the podcast. I go, thanks, king. But recently I have been starting to use it in kind of a condescending way. Like, I wish that you guys could see my facial expressions because I do feel like that would convey the emotion slightly more. But in a situation where let's just say like I'm annoyed with my mom, I'll be like, queen. It's like a queen. Come on. Like, are you for real right now? Yeah. You know, that's the vibe. And I think that like similar to the phrase, okay, boomer, like, okay, queen is just more universal. Like it doesn't have to imply that they are older than you, but they are just they're just not doing the right thing at that moment. And it's just like a Gigi and I will often say behind other people's backs. Okay. Okay. Queen. Right. So especially while driving, I wouldn't say that I have um, like road rage by any means, but I do oftentimes. And this, even I realized where this started was I remember in high school, I would oftentimes say, sir, Like, if I saw a man driving and he was doing something annoying, I'd be like, sir, like, come on, what are you doing? Rather than, you know, being like, fuck you, or any kind of crazy (laughs) road rage. Um, And so while I've been dashing as the driver, I find myself wanting to be like, king, come on, queen, come on. But sometimes I can't see who they are. And I also don't want to assume gender. Never. So I recently created a gender-neutral um version royalty still affiliated version (laughs) which is sovereign (laughs) okay sovereign so i'll be like sovereign come on you know what i mean by the way getting to sovereign did take quite a bit of brainstorming because that was the first one that i said personally okay we threw out some more we, we threw out some more we did some brainstorming we tried to figure out what made the most sense as far as trying to equate like king and queen in a gender neutral form. I enjoyed monarch for a moment. It's a little, rolls off the tongue a little bit easier, but I like that sovereign is so um, obtrusive to say and lengthy. It's, it honestly just really cracks me up every time Judy says it. Yeah. I try to keep my king, queen, sovereign to a minimum. 
Um, but I still wind up saying it a lot. And I, I do my best not to irritate the others around me. Um, I, Sovereign would never irritate me. Okay. I'm glad yeah, to hear that. Yeah, of course not. I love it. Um, so Lily, would you like to share with us another aspect of the dashing experience? Recently? Yes. So a place that we have been driving to frequently is what isn't the colony? Okay. It's called the colony and Sorry, I, the order colony. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. No disrespect to its name. The order colony. And basically, I think it's called colony actually, which I just realized this morning. Oh. We've been confused because it's www.ordercolony.com, but they're oh. telling us to order colony. They're not telling us that it's called order colony. Okay. All right. So Either I'm way, pretty sure maybe it right, is Lily. colony. Okay. okay. Whatever it is, it is basically a space where restaurants can rent out kitchen space. So for example, if you want to have like all your to-go orders in one area and then your seated orders in another area, you can rent out small restaurants space and it's just for takeout. But the colony is so much more than just that because as dashers, we get sent there all the time because there's like 30 or I have no idea how many restaurants in there. So it's a centralized location for us to pick up food. Now, in addition to being a pickup spot, the colony is also a flirtation station, (laughs) which I'm going to call it that because I had some flirtation with one of the men working there and we exchanged Instagrams. He asked me out on a date, which I declined. Um, The Colony also is a restaurant for ourselves because they give us free food sometimes. Last night we got spicy chicken tenders. It's also a great place to meet our co-workers, as Lily likes to refer to them. Anyone who's a fellow DoorDasher, Postmate, Caviar, Queen, whatever. we Sovereign. sovereign, Caviar Sovereign, excuse me. Um, They, you know, will kind of chat. And last night I made a little joke because Lily was overhearing a conversation between two Dashers about their strategy, how much money they make, all of that kind of stuff. And I made a joke that um, the colony is sort of like the Dasher water cooler. It's where you go to get all the tea from your coworkers. And I just think that door dashing in general has given me such perspective on like what goes into the food delivery process. And I'm not going to lie. I love ordering food to be delivered. I love having it just arrive on my doorstep. Super easy. But everyone knows that every once in a while you have a terrible situation where your food doesn't come for like hours on end and you're like, what is happening? And whoever the dasher or whatever person isn't communicating with you at all. But it really has given me perspective on how challenging it can be. So I do feel like I have a lot more sympathy for an empathy for dashers and any sort of delivery person. And I do feel like I'll be more generous with my tips in the future. And I will like actually understand what the behind the scenes oftentimes looks like a little bit more. Agreed. And and I think that that's actually a perfect segue into the topic for this episode, which is all about the subject of happiness. And I do think that perspective does have a certain relationship with happiness when you can put things into perspective in a way that isn't judgmental or, you know, too harsh on yourself, but like when you can genuinely just put your circumstances into perspective a little bit, I do think that that can help you having more long-term happiness, having more long-term gratitude, awareness, etc. So I do think that that is kind of related to this episode. So 
Um, I would love to just kind of jump in and start a conversation a little bit about happiness. Do you girls want to kind of give me your initial impressions about like, you know, what do you think about happiness in our society? I know we've talked about positivity and, you know, positivity being a little bit overvalued in our society, but like, what are your initial impressions when you think about happiness, how to get happiness, etc.? My immediate response to that is all linked to the people that I surround myself with and not directly tied to positivity, but when I have happiness around me, I'm much more likely to feel happy and upbeat. And I definitely think it's a product of those that I surround myself with, spend my time with you know, exchange opinions with, that's where I see my happiness fluctuate the most. I feel like when I'm asked to think about happiness, I sort of have to think about it as, am I thinking about my current happiness in the present moment? Or am I trying to reflect on a past like chunk of time? And I find that when I try and consider a past, honestly, I was going to say that like one is different from the other. I I genuinely think that it's it's so difficult to definitively say like oh I was happy during this chunk of time or I am happy at this present moment because there's always ways that you can <clears throat> like question or challenge that or distort your own happiness or like misunderstand something. I I feel like I'm getting a little confusing and speaking kind of abstractly and I wish that I could better illustrate what I want to say but I guess it's just that like when I think about um times in the past when I'm when I think to myself oh that was such a happy time I can also at times think back on that and go I can think of multiple occasions within that period of time where I was feeling moody, where I was feeling down, where I was feeling some type of way. But does that mean that that wasn't still a happy period of my life? I don't think so. But it's just a matter of trying to reflect um, on past experiences in a neutral way without trying. I think that like labeling something as happy or unhappy is just too black and white to tell the whole story. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting point, Jeej, about like how we do tend to try to label times, like long time periods in our life as happy, whereas we don't really do that with other emotions as much. Like you don't really hear people say that was a sad time in my life, that was like an angry time in my life as much, I think, as when people talk about happy times in their life. Um, And I do think that like nostalgia and, you know, looking back and hindsight being 2020 and like there is just this this coloring of the past as happy and the present as just kind of neutral or however you're currently feeling. Um, so, Gigi, I do think that's a really good point. Um, one of my big like introductions to really thinking about happiness in a deep and complex way was a class that I took in college called The Science of Happiness. Um, I think this is literally the most popular class at NYU. Um, It's in a huge lecture hall. A ton of people take it. It has a really catchy title. And obviously everyone wants to learn how to be happy. So like, why not take that class? Um, And I found it to be a pretty interesting class. And I think that in some ways, 
that class is always going to be disappointing because it's never going to be as fun and cool and interesting as you think it's going to be. And some lectures are going to be amazing and some lectures are going to be a little boring or not really make that much sense or not even really feel that applicable. Like I know that in that class, we spent full lecture periods on, for example, sleep, eating well, um, exercising, mindfulness. And like, these are things that to me are pretty obvious. You know, you need to be meeting your basic needs in order to, to be able to be happy. And I felt like so much time was spent on those basic things. And those maybe are the keys to happiness, but I was expecting so much more of like a secret to success as far as happiness. I feel like, I'm sorry, you said the title of this class is the science of happiness. Yeah. I just feel like of course you can aim to like nail down the science of happiness, but I just think it's such an individual experience that like the only commonalities that everyone's going to have around happiness are going to be those basic things. I also think it's interesting that you bring up like the key to happiness because I think that's something that a lot of people like myself included look for, think about. And obviously I'm nothing more than a sophomore citizen. So I don't know that I can say this with complete confidence, but I don't think there's a key to happiness. Like, of course, I think there's keys and maybe like not a key that like unlocks it, but like half a key that like, you know, gets you there, but maybe doesn't like let you in the door because it is an individualized thing. And there's no like cure all in my opinion that is going to equal happiness. There's also so many times where you're meeting your basic needs, but that doesn't mean that you're overcome with happiness all the time. Right. And there's also times where maybe some of your basic needs aren't being met, but you're still extremely happy. And I feel like especially thinking to Maslow's um, hierarchy, mm-hmm. I feel like I've I've heard arguments about like for and against Maslow's hierarchy, right. which for those of you who are not familiar, it's about the idea that there's this triangle of like meeting your basic needs at the bottom and then climbing up to like safety, climbing up to health, um, health climbing up to school and education, and then it climbs up to like self-actualization. And I think that I broadly agree with this idea that like you do kind of need to meet some of those basic needs in order to to achieve some of those other things. But I don't think that it it has to be like you have in order to have self-actualization, you have to have every single thing beneath it. I think that there can be a combination of a few different levels. Yeah, I think that like, you know, it's not like you have to have levels one, two, and three to unlock the other ones. Does that make sense? Yeah. And to me, one of the most or more problematic aspects of the Maslow's pyramid is that one of the, you know, lower down basic needs is financial security. And like, that's a luxury that some people just can't afford to have complete financial security either at times in their life or throughout their whole life. Their, Their circumstances are just not set up. And they are not coming from a place of privilege where financial, you know, stability would be easy for them. But who am I to say that that person can't self-actualize? Who am I to say that that person can't be happy, can't be healthy, you know, can't have great relationships, can't be the wisest person in the world, you know? Totally. Another example that isn't as strong as Liesl's, 
um, that I remember, I think a teacher saying, and I might mess this up a little bit, but one of the levels much lower down is safety. And then one of the slightly higher levels is like education, making friends, that kind of thing. And I remember we were in a classroom and the teacher was like, this door, like the door to the classroom didn't even have a lock on it. And he's like, that's not safety. Like if there is not a lock on the door, if something bad were trying to get in, if someone bad were trying to get in, we would not have any safety here. And like, yet here we are making friends, learning new things, that kind of stuff. And so that's why I also just wanted to point out that as much as generally I do see the value in Maslow's hierarchy of needs as like a general way of thinking about our needs it's not a blanket statement like this is true for everyone all the time definitely but I think that we've opened up the conversation about happiness in a good way it's a very complex topic it's not a one-size-fits-all thing like Gigi was saying and everyone has different needs different wants different means to get there Um, But I think that we're going to have a really fun, interesting discussion about how we try to get there to that place of happiness and how we acknowledge when we're not happy, how do we fix that, um, and how do we deal with that in general. And I think potentially similarly to this class that you took, Liesl, Mm -hmm. like we are going to focus on a few different elements of happiness that might not necessarily touch on like pure joy. Right. If that makes sense. Right. It's not like... Um, in this class, they can tell you like, okay, go hang out with your best friend and do a super fun activity where you go travel across the world and you'll experience pure joy because that's not reasonable to, to, to ask of someone. Does that make sense? And I think that also just touches on how individualized happiness is. Like we're going to talk about things that let's say make us happy or we see as similar to happiness or related in some way. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be that way for any of our listeners or anyone else, because I really do think that happiness, as you said, Liesl, is not a one size fits all. There's so many factors involved. Totally. And in the introduction to this class, I do distinctly remember them kind of contrasting the idea of hedonism with kind of the idea of long term happiness, where hedonism is just giving yourself in to all of your most basic you know, um, wants and desires, whether that's with food, with, you know, activities, drinking, drugs, sex, like just literally, you know, doing everything for immediate pleasure. And they did contrast that with, you know, some things that could actually create more long term, you know, happiness. And I do think that like, ideally, everyone can find a split between finding those immediate pleasure-seeking activities and also like fostering and facilitating long-term health and happiness and all of that kind of stuff. Okay, for my topic today, Professor Liesl is putting her cap back on and I'm going to try to educate both you girls and our listeners about something that you might not know about. This is information that is pulled from my Science of Happiness class, but also was talked about in other psychology classes and is pretty standard psychological information that you could find out there. So I'm not teaching anything revolutionary or even really teaching you. I'm just opening up a discussion about something that you girls might not know about, or maybe you do. So a big thing um, in psychology, especially in what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is all about changing 
your cognitions, so your thoughts, and also changing your behaviors, and that it is mainly your cognitions and your behaviors that impact your mental health, your feelings, all of that sort of stuff. And if you can change your thoughts and your behaviors, you can probably also change your feelings. So one of the big things with that is something that's called maladaptive thoughts, which are basically just problematic thoughts that do not contain logical thinking. So they're kind of like little thinking errors, but our brains just have a tendency to cling onto some of these thought pattern errors. So I'm just going to go through a couple of my personal favorites. I would love if you girls tell me if you've experienced this or if you have any examples or if you feel like this is kind of bogus and isn't a real thing. Okay, so the first one that I would like to talk about, which was the one that blew my mind the most when I learned about it, is called mind reading. You believe that you know what other people are thinking. You are failing to consider that there are other possibilities that that other person might be thinking or that there's just other factors in general that are going to impact how someone is thinking. Um, I think as our certified um, devil's advocate, I don't fall victim to this one too many times. But I do also, in classic fashion, want to see the other side of it and consider maybe I do sometimes do this or I assume I make an ass out of you and me. I do it on a somewhat regular basis. I make assumptions and it most of the time leads to some sort of, you know, mistake or negative outcome. I definitely think I do this. I can think of many times that I have um, with friends, with family, in arguments where I'm like, I know what they're going to say. Right. Or like, you're explaining it to your friend. You're like, okay, so-and-so is being such a bitch. And like, I know this is why she was doing it. And like, I'm sure if I had Gigi there, she'd be like, well, Lily, maybe she was doing it for another reason. But like, (laughs) I've been like, and this is why. And it's like, there's no way it could be anything else. I feel like as humans, we have a tendency to like, predict what what's going to happen or like try and understand what the outcome of a situation is going to be before it even happens yeah and I feel like this mind reading thing is just a product of us using past experiences and making a generalization about what we think the person is going to be thinking or what the outcome is going to be and I think the more that we can allow that to happen but not necessarily um, assign truth value to it, Mm -hmm. the better. Because it's like, you can think all you want. Like, I think this is what they're thinking. But the the, misstep is saying, I know what they're thinking. Yeah. And I think that like, I have been a mind reader. I have been that person who thinks that, that I know what the other person in the situation is thinking, feeling, you know, experiencing, whatever. Um, But I also, as a person who has um, uncontrollable facial expressions, I feel like a lot of people try to mind read me and think that they know how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, just because of whatever my face looks like, which is not a fair assessment. Um, And I think that like bringing this particular maladaptive thought like back into the happiness category Like, I truly think that as someone who was really falling victim to mind reading tendencies for a while, like, constantly trying to remind myself, I don't know what this person is thinking, or trying to, a la Gigi, play devil's advocate, like, that can be such a helpful reminder to when you're in a negative, sad, angry mood, and you're thinking this other person hates me, this other person is doing X, Y, Z, try trying to be like I don't know what they're thinking 
And then if you, if you need to know what they're thinking, you can always ask. And I truly feel like doing that, especially in times of conflict, disagreement, whatever, can really help you like move on more swiftly, which will be happier. You know, like I think the more that there can just be effective communication, a good confrontation, if that's what needs to happen, an apology, and we're moving on, like, I think that everyone in the situation can most of the time be happier having just gone through it. I also just want to mention again, the little anecdote from being at therapy and sort of getting the advice from my therapist that when there are things that we don't know or like people that we don't know or situations we're uncertain about and we are trying to think about what the other person's thinking or we're trying to like make assumptions we have to just remind ourselves it's a question mark like we don't know as you're saying and I think that like once we can accept that we don't know we're much more likely to ask as you said Lisa. right and asking leaves the space for that other person to let you know what's going on yeah Definitely. Okay, so that was a big one for me. This next one I feel like I see happening all the time. And if you can like pinpoint when it is happening, it can be so helpful to figure out how a situation is playing out. And this is anticipating negative outcomes. You expect that something negative is going to happen and then you're angry at that thing that hasn't even happened yet. This was happening with our friend very recently where she was getting annoyed at another person in her life over something that she thought that this person was going to respond. The person hadn't even been given the chance to have that response and she was already mad at something that she was predicting was going to happen. And this is not uncommon. Like I'm not trying to shade this person or say that she was doing the wrong thing, but so often we we predict an outcome and then we act like that is reality. You know, we act like what we've decided the future is has already happened. And I think that like when you can catch this happening and remind yourself, oh wait, that hasn't even happened yet. It can be so beneficial to just be like, wait, let's take a step back. Let's deal with the present and then the future will come. A thousand percent. I totally see that. And I think it goes back to what Gigi was saying that I completely agree with, with human tendency to predict things, to be in control of things, to be like, I know. And it's, first of all, you don't know. But second of all, it is so, like, it's harming yourself. Yeah. It is just like the generalization based off past experience. Right. To then, and I also think that people have a tendency to want to anticipate a negative outcome so that they can be right. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that. Because they think it hurts less. Well, they think it hurts less, but also, like, they would rather predict a negative outcome and have that negative outcome be the the case yeah. so that they can be right. Like, yeah. being right matters more than having a positive outcome, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's so crazy. And I just think that, like, the more that we can accept the present and live in the present moment, especially in situations of conflict, annoyance you know, disruption, like the more that we can just focus on the here and now, I feel like the better. I just wanted to make a little side note about the word crazy, because I feel like it has come out a couple of times in this episode. And I understand that some people see it as a um, 
insensitive term because it does have so many associations and that a lot of people will just sort of label mental health struggles or different mental illnesses as quote unquote crazy. And I want to just acknowledge that we don't mean to um, like confuse those terms or to be insensitive towards anyone who does experience mental health struggles. Of course, we are human. We deal with them ourselves. But at the same time, crazy, at least for myself, and I can only assume for you girls, is something that we're still working on phasing out of our vocabularies to a certain extent. So we're mindful of it, but we're not um, totally there yet. So please bear with us as sometimes it, it slips out. Yeah. And I think that like, If you're referring to a situation as crazy, that's very different than referring to a person and even worse, a specific person as crazy. Um, But Gigi, thank you for pointing that out. And we will be cognizant of that throughout this episode to the best of our abilities. But once again, we, we mean no harm if we do slip up. We're only human. So the next maladaptive thought that I wanted to talk about was emotional reasoning. You think something must be true because you feel it is true. And this is one that I think is really hard to overcome. Like when you feel in your heart and in your like gut, like something is true, it's really hard to convince yourself that it's not when you're operating on feelings. Absolutely. I'm trying to think of a specific example, but this definitely resonates as something that is true. Haha. <laughs> for me so true (laughs) I feel like this is difficult because it seems very much like intuition Mm -hmm. or how we experience intuition of like a gut feeling right that something is right or wrong and that we we um attribute that gut feeling to like reasoning like it, it we equate it yeah um and it's tough because that instinct and that intuition is a part of who we are as humans, like biologically. Um, And so I feel like it's even more difficult to deny a feeling like that. Yeah, I think it can be really hard. And it's something that like, when I see this happening in other people, this is really irritating to me. And I like have a tendency to want to fight people when this is happening. Like even (laughs) just like on a scientific level, Like if someone has a gut feeling about something that is scientific related and I'm like, but no, like the science says X, Y, Z, even though your gut feeling is that essential oils are going to cure cancer or whatever. um, I have a really hard time getting over this when other people are doing it. But I think it's really important for me to be kind to others And just understand where they're coming from. Because I have experienced that too. I have let my emotions and my gut instinct overrule logic and reasoning a million times in my life. So I need to come from more of a place of like empathy with that and understanding. um, Instead of being like, I'm going to fight this person and try to convince them that science and studies and research and facts are more important than how they feel. I think political debates Mm. um, are a few times where maybe (laughs) this comes into play. I can think of specific arguments that escalated well beyond just politics where this was what was going on with friends, with family members. 
I would list them, but I don't want to throw shade. But absolutely, this is something that is real, especially in political debates for me. That's a really good point, Lily. Hazel, I have a general clarifying question for you. Uh-huh. So in the class, did they um, like present these maladaptive behaviors or thinking patterns as like things to avoid to achieve happiness? Or how exactly was it related to quote-unquote happiness so what they were trying to get us to do was to acknowledge when these things come up and that was like the base level so they they would give us different challenges each week um so like one week they would be like okay set a goal for yourself one week they would be like do three random acts of kindness for strangers throughout the week and like write it down and submit it to your ta so for this week i'm pretty sure that the challenge was just to choose like three of these and and just try to count the amount of times throughout a week that you did these. And like that was kind of the, the that was it of the challenge. Like it wasn't even necessarily like try to like combat these and fight these for happiness. But I think it's more about the knowledge of them. You know, when we become aware of these maladaptive thought patterns, I do think it's easier to overcome them. You know, and it it comes more naturally to overcome them than trying to like force yourself to change in that way. But I think just like awareness about them and catching yourself doing them is the biggest thing. You know, like that's the number one thing is being able to label and see these behaviors or thought patterns in your day to day life. So I think that that's what they were trying to encourage. And that's also what I'm trying to kind of encourage as far as our listeners just to have some understanding about these different things. And like when I learned about these thought patterns, it it definitely changed my perspective on the world. And I was able to face difficulty, challenge, confrontation so much better because I could understand like the place where the other person is coming from better and the place where I was coming from a little bit better. So that's kind of, but that was a great question, Gigi. I appreciate because I didn't really clarify in the beginning. Um, but yeah. So the final um, thing that I wanted to bring up is labeling. And this is when you put a fixed global label on yourself or others without considering that there is evidence that might more reasonably lead to a less disastrous conclusion. Can you give an example of this? So like an example of labeling is I'm a lazy person. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm lazy. I just don't don't do anything or or another person is lazy. You know, like just labeling and giving a universal global adjective or descriptor to something and then letting that override contrary evidence. You know, like you could if you have decided someone is lazy and then you see them working a 12 hour day, you might still walk away feeling like they're lazy because of your own biases and like just what you happen to think of the situation already. Um, So that's like the labeling. That makes sense. I can't think of a specific thing, but like I'm not here to reject it or think it's bogus. I just can't think of. I feel like that's like maybe a little more nuanced that I wouldn't see in my life all the time. Yeah. I feel like that for me, that's going back to fixed mindset versus growth mindset of like the more that you're labeling yourself or others as something that it is a part of their identity is something that is limiting Um, whereas when you label a behavior as lazy, let's say, then it's like that behavior is lazy. If you do that behavior, maybe you're engaging in a lazy activity, but that doesn't mean you are lazy as a person. 
Totally. I think you totally just hit the nail on the head, Gigi. You summed it up. Those are some of my personal favorite maladaptive thoughts, as they're called. There's so many more. You can Google lists of them, look through them, see what you think about all of the different ones. And as we were saying, just take this with a grain of salt. I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. I don't know that much about the world, and I don't I don't claim to know more than anyone else, truly. But I just think it's fun to teach you girls about something that you might not have known about, or maybe you did already, um, and just for our listeners to gain some insight on stuff like that. And I think that now that we've busted through some of the negativity as far as happiness, some things to try to avoid to create happiness in your life, now we can talk about some of the things we try to add to our lives to create a little bit more happiness. All right, Gigi, why don't you shed some happiness on the situation? Gladly. Um, My topic for today is broadly going to be about gratitude. So I recently, um, over the last couple of months this summer, have been trying to think of mantras or just mindful statements to consider throughout the day. Um, I have been doing this less now that I'm not really, like my class that I'm finishing up is not as hectic. I'm not working um, a traditional job the way that I was earlier in the summer, but it's something that I did really enjoy while I was doing it. It was something that I would sit down and do in the mornings when I created a schedule or like a list of to-dos for the day. I would add in my little mantra for the day, and sometimes it would just be something that I thought of from the heart that I felt, you know, made sense for that day, or if I was struggling, I would just Google positive affirmations or mindful mantra or whatever, Google would help me out. And then I'd jot it down in my journal. And every time that I went to go look at the next list of to-dos, even if my eyes just flashed by it, it was another wonderful opportunity to consider that statement for the day. So one of the ones that Google had provided me with is one that I think is rather beautiful. I love it. And I even, I started texting these mantras in the group chat with myself, Liesl, and our father, um, because he, more than anyone, I think needs a little extra- A little mantra in his life. A little mantra in his life, a little positive affirmation. And it's funny because I think that he is someone who is already um, pretty, like, I don't know, I don't know what the word that I'm looking for is, but he's already like prone to motivational or like, oh yes, um, you know, that kind of content. Yes. But it's funny because sometimes he still can be kind of so negative. Yeah. Or like abrasive. Um, Definitely abrasive. And so this story that I'm about to tell is related to that as well. So this mantra that I had that I really liked was gratitude is a celebration that we are all invited to. So I would first just like to expand on that a little bit and what it means to me. Um, I feel that this is such a beautiful way of thinking about gratitude because it is something that everyone can participate in. It doesn't require any, um, you know, specific things to just feel grateful for the things that you do have. Um, and so I texted this in, in the group chat. I don't think I got any kind of, um, you know, overwhelmingly positive response from my dad, but whatever, we moved along. Then the other day, um, I called my dad in the morning time and we were trying to sort out some plan for dinner or something. 
And I asked him how his morning was going and he goes, shit, complete and utter shit. And of course, this is a very abrasive and aggressive response. And I just would like for it to be known that he was not like yelling this, you know, this is just like him being a little edgy and abrasive in the morning time on a bad day. Um, And I had said to him, why don't you try and think of some things that you're grateful for? Like the fact that you woke up this morning and he says, I expect to wake up in the mornings. And to be fair, I too expect to wake (laughs) up in the morning. But I think that even just getting to feel gratitude for the fact that I woke up this morning, I got out of bed is genuinely something that can bring me some happiness and some positivity, even if it is on such a like minute scale in that moment. Um, And so I guess I just wanted to open up this conversation about gratitude, about positivity, about that kind of mindset and my mantras as a means of feeling happier throughout the day. Totally. I think gratitude is super important as far as happiness. And for me, it's super important in my life um, as a constant reminder to be grateful for the things that I have, for the things that are coming in my life, for the things that I'm working for. Um, and all of that stuff. And it's such an important thing to keep in mind. That's something that once again, we studied a bit in my class, the science of happiness, we had to keep a gratitude journal and consistently be writing down and thinking about the things that we were grateful for in our lives. I think we also had to write a gratitude letter to someone in our life. And like, we had to read it aloud to them and tell them like, why we love them, why we're grateful for them, what they do for us. And that was a super powerful sweet activity to do. So if you are looking for a little activity to do with a friend, write each other a little gratitude letter, tell them all of the amazing things that they do for you and why you love having them in your life and read it aloud. It's a great activity. I feel like this kind of goes back to what you were saying towards the beginning of the episode, Liesl, about perspective. Mm -hmm. I feel like gratitude is a perspective. It's a mindset that you can take on. An example that comes to mind for me right now is like I've been having a lot of soreness in my legs from sitting down dashing all the time. Um, And of course, like a soreness in my legs is not immediately a happy feeling. It's something that is like bothersome and kind of painful, to be honest. But when I think about, okay, I'm grateful for the fact that my body, my legs are functioning, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that like there is the opportunity for them to not be hurting at some point in the near future. Like that in and of itself is something that I can be grateful for and something that I can um, switch my perspective about when I initially have the thought of, ow, like my legs hurt, I'm bummed that I like sat in the car all the, the time that we were dashing, like I should have been stretching during that time. It's not a matter of thinking about that. It's a matter of like, all right, if I can stretch from here on out, luckily for me, in a couple of days, they'll feel totally fine again. Yeah, for sure. And I also think that, at least for me personally, gratitude is very closely linked to reflection. Like, even as you were saying, Gigi, if you're thinking about the soreness in your legs, you kind of have to reflect on what's going on. And I think in retrospect, it's really easy to see things clearer, which is something that has brought me a lot of happiness in terms of gratitude. If I'm thinking about things that I'm grateful for, what I love about a situation, I'm able to gain a lot of happiness out of that. 
And I especially see that like through journaling, which coincidentally enough, when I'm consistently journaling and giving myself that time, those are the times that I think are, have been some of the happiness, happiest in my life, not to say for sure, but they definitely have brought a lot of happiness to myself. Thinking on what you've said about reflection and going back to this situation or this scenario with my legs, let's say, obviously the um, example that I had gave, I had given was like still directly related to that exact issue. But like you're saying, Lily, if I think back on the situation, although my leg soreness is something that's kind of bothering me, let's say, when I think back to the the situation, the fact that I got to make money, spend time with my dear friends and have a little fun in the car, like I can be so grateful for that aspect of the situation. And I think that as you're saying, like that reflection gives you the space to see what aspects of a situation are the positive side of things. And I think that gratitude can also serve as kind of a distraction in a way. And I know that distraction has kind of a negative connotation and I certainly don't mean it like that. But like, let's say, as you said with your dad, he was feeling really not good. And then you kind of tried to pose a distraction from the not good to potentially something happier that you can be grateful for. And again, I know that there's potentially some like problematic parts of just distracting yourself from the not good. But I do think there is a lot of value in terms of happiness in gratitude when you get to not focus on the bad and focus on the good. And that is so important to me. Totally. And also with Gigi talking a little bit about our dad and his penchant for motivational stories, he did actually recently email us a little inspirational motivational story that I would love to share. So basically it was a story about a professor who went to the front of his classroom in a college class. He took out a large jar and he filled it with golf balls and he asked the class, is this jar full? They all said, yes, it was full of golf balls. So then he takes out some pebbles and he pours in the pebbles and the pebbles fill all of the cracks around the golf balls and all of the empty spaces. And he says, is this jar full now? And they say, yes, totally full. Then he takes out some sand and he pours the sand into the jar. And obviously all of the little sand granules go all around the pebbles and the golf balls. And he says, okay, class, now is this full? They say, yes. Then he takes out two cans of beer and he pours it into the jar. And of course, the beer easily goes in with everything else. And he says, okay, now is the jar full? And they finally say yes. And finally, they're right. The jar is full. And basically, he says, this is a metaphor for life. The golf balls represent the big things in life. Family, spending time with loved ones, the most important values that you have in your life. The pebbles represent the second most important things. Maybe your job, your passions, things that you love to do, but that maybe aren't quite as important. The sand is all of the other stuff that comes out, comes up throughout the day. All of the random stuff, all of the small stuff, all of the quote-unquote insignificant stuff. And then he says, if you fill the jar first with the sand, with the small stuff, you don't have space for the golf balls or the pebbles. If you fill the jar first with the pebbles, you don't have space for the golf balls, right? So you have to make sure that you're filling your jar first with the most important stuff 
and prioritizing the values and the things that matter most because you can't fill your jar if you go in the opposite direction and focus on the small stuff. And that's something that people fall into so easily, focusing on all of the minutiae and the small details of the day-to-day and they get lost in that and they forget to like come back to gratitude and come back to the most meaningful things. So of course, a girl in the class, in the college class, raises her hand and says, but what about the beers? And he said, oh, that just means that every once in a while, you also have space in your life for a couple beers, which is just kind of a funny little extra part. But this is kind of relevant to gratitude, perspective, priorities, and all of these things that I think all come together to help us try to reach a little bit more happiness. All right, now, Lily, do you want to tell us about your topic? Yes. So immediately, and I know this is a little cliche, when people say happiness, one of the first things that comes to my mind is money can't buy happiness or money can buy happiness. Anyone who doesn't think money and happiness are related is a fool. You know, all of those sentiments that I feel like I've grown up hearing. And to be completely honest, I don't know my definitive answer as to whether or not I agree or disagree with them. I think it's much more complicated than it does or it doesn't buy happiness. As we've mentioned a million times, happiness is really complex. It's not black and white. And another thing that is kind of related to money and happiness and when I reflect on my happiness is the way that giving back and doing things that aren't necessarily related to money come into play. So the best example I can give of this is through volunteering. And I know that all three of us can speak on this because we've volunteered in pretty meaningful ways for quite some time now. And I can genuinely say that when I am volunteering and getting from this experience something that's not traditional in terms of like making a profit, I am a very happy and content person and I'm really able to gain so much, just to go back to even what Lisa was saying earlier, perspective, you know, positivity, so many things, gratitude, everything that kind of encapsulates happiness as we've talked about um, from these non-money situations which kind of leads me to believe that maybe money and happiness are not as linked as some lead them or some believe them to be. But I just think that we have to talk about money and happiness as a whole. So I would love to open this up to a conversation with you girls. Yes. And I will answer first from the scientific perspective, as I am wont to do. Um, They have done a lot of studies about the correlation between money and happiness, of course. And um, scientists and researchers of psychology. Um, This is very well recorded. You can look it up. You can fact check me if you would like to. Um, But a lot of researchers have found that there is a correlation up to a certain amount of money. So essentially, you know, the money and happiness correlation goes slightly up. So as your income increases, your happiness generally, you know, among like a large group of people, happiness will increase as your income increases, but it stops at about, I, this is a random number, but I think I kind of remember it being about $100,000 a year. 
So if you're making, let's just say $100,000 a year versus a million dollars a year, um, the happiness differential there is extremely minimal, almost non-existent. Whereas the difference between making $20,000 a year versus making $100,000 a year, there is a correlation between money and happiness. Um, And I do think that in a certain way, this does go back to Maslow's hierarchy. And I do think that this research and these findings can be very problematic because people do take research and findings that are taking averages from large numbers of people to be fact. There, It is 100% true that some of the happiest people in the world are making the least money and some of the most unhappy people are making the most money. But that's what we like to call anecdotal. But that is anecdotal. Um, and the, the science does say that that being financially stable and secure can be very beneficial to um, being happy, you know, being able to afford a car, afford a house, afford food, and not be stressed about your finances is the point at which money does matter for happiness. Beyond that, expensive vacations, you know, second homes, like, you know, getting into the upper echelon of wealth, it does not mean you are happier at all. And I completely agree with that. Obviously, I'm not here to argue with science, but just looking at it from like a logical perspective and not a scientific perspective, that makes tons of sense. Obviously, if you're a millionaire, you're not able to buy happiness. Like just as a person who is not a millionaire, I can completely understand and agree with that. Yeah. And I think that like it does also come down, at least anecdotally in my perspective, to like a feeling of satisfaction. You know, if you are getting that feeling of satisfaction from your work, from earning a lot of money, from doing a lot of things that involve money, then you're, you probably will be happier. But I do think that a lot of people with a lot of money feel very hollow and sometimes empty inside if they're not doing things that are helping other people, that are satisfying certain needs, that are that are going outside of themselves. Um, and so I think that like, feeling satisfied in your work with your relationships with all of that sort of stuff is so much more important than making an extra million dollars or whatever. I think for me, when happiness and money enters the conversation, I start to think of expectations and the expectations that I have of myself and of my life. Like I dream big and Mm -hmm. I think like I would love to have like a beautiful home in Los Angeles, which is of course not an inexpensive purchase. Um, And like, I know that I want to be able to send however many kids I have to college and whatever education they need and any other like needs they may have. I want to make sure that those are met. But like, as far as having, you know, a frivolous amount of money, that doesn't really mean anything to me. But like I said, I would be naive to deny that, that some of my expectations of my life are expensive. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, I I think managing my expectations is going to be a big part of harnessing my happiness mm. because I think that like, if those expectations aren't met, naturally there's going to be some disappointment or some mm-hmm. unhappiness. But like, I don't want to find myself upset with that. And you know what? This is sort of feeling like it's connected back to something I had mentioned a little while ago related to quarantine specifically, because obviously our expectations of 
the spring of the summer of 2020 a year ago was not what it looks like today. Right. And I think that like when you think of expectations versus reality, of course, the discrepancy leaves space for some unhappiness. But when you can just appreciate the way that things are for the way that they are, the expectation becomes irrelevant. And that just simply doesn't need to be factored in whatsoever. And so if let's say I find myself living in a beautiful home in Wyoming on a lake rather than in Los Angeles, because that's considerably less expensive. If I'm no longer considering my initial expectation, my happiness can still be fully fulfilled and and all of my needs can be met if if I feel that I'm happy and yeah. I can just appreciate my situation for what it is. Yeah, our dad was recently envisioning <laughs> a future for Gigi where she married a Mormon software engineer who worked for a Chinese company and they lived in Idaho. This is oddly specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, somehow... he was trying to give an example of like, okay, girls, either you have to hustle, work extremely hard, work yourself to the bone and live in Los Angeles and live the life you want. And then he was like, but you know, if that's not what you want, that's fine. Gigi, you could go marry a software engineer, Mormon, live in Idaho. I don't know why he chose any of those specifications, but that's what he chose. Gigi, um, would that make you happy? Um. I mean, when I'm predicting, when I'm using my predicting skills, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but who knows? But yeah, our dad, I guess, was just in storytelling mode and was just wrapped up he, in his own narrative. He crafted quite a narrative. He yeah. crafted a good story. I know that for myself, like, I don't think that, like, van life, you know, living in a van would be for me. I just don't think that I'm that type of person. And I think that some people, that's, like, their happiest dream life is to just, like, live in a van and drive and travel, you know? And it is truly about just like determining and labeling what will work for you and what is reasonable with the means that you have. You Absolutely. Know? And I love that Gigi brought up expectations because I think that's really important in discussing happiness. I know that's something that I've struggled with, still struggle with, like forming my expectations, changing my expectations. It's something that's so difficult. But I think that when you get that down, that could be, I'm not going to say the key because I don't believe in that, but I think that goes on your keychain to happiness if you are able to manage your expectations effectively. I also think it has to be a balance between managing expectations, but still dreaming big, still having goals, still having a game plan to achieve those goals, because there is such a sense of accomplishment and satisfaction that comes with achieving goals. Yeah. And I think that like we would be remiss not to acknowledge that money and having your own money is oftentimes linked to independence. You know, if you have earned your own money, no one can fucking tell you what to do with it. You know, your parents can't tell you, your partner can't tell you, your kids can't tell you. You earned that money. You get to decide what to do with it. And I think that like, especially as women, it's really important to keep in mind that, you know, earning your own money, it, it does help you to have your own thing, your own independence, your own power and strength. And that's not to shame anyone who is a stay-at-home mom, who who doesn't work. Like, that is beautiful and wonderful if that works for you. Um, and especially if you have a great, amazing spouse who is supportive and trusting and whatever. Um, but I know that for me, like, it's always been instilled in me that 
I need to have my own independent, you know, income, at least at, at most points in my life to, to have that autonomy, to have that independence, to feel like I can make my own decisions. And, and that if, let's just say I got into a marriage, that I could leave that marriage and feel safe and secure and know that like, I can, I can figure it out if I do have to like be on my own, you know? But yeah, I think that that was a great conversation about money and happiness. Um, and I'm really glad that you brought that topic up, Lily. Uh, why don't we jump right into some recommendations? I think that one recommendation that I kind of mentioned earlier was doing some gratitude journaling, some mantra work. Um, and just trying to take stock of the great things in your life, um, set some goals and just, you know, try to figure out some of those things that you feel like might lead to more long-term happiness. As far as short-term happiness, we have a food recommendation. Lily, do you want to share? Yes, I promise this will make you happy if you try it. (laughs) So for any, um, Los Angeles based listeners, There is a great bakery that has a few locations around the city of LA called Sweet Lady Jane, and they are known for their triple berry cake, which is a vanilla cake with vanilla frosting and strawberries and blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, all the berries. Whatever is triple. Okay, yeah, maybe they they trade between blackberries and blueberries, I think, but strawberries and raspberries are usually in it. Okay, and some berries, and they I don't know how recently, but recently enough introduced a chocolate triple berry Mm -hmm. and let me tell you it does not disappoint it is so good and I am here to highly recommend that you go to Sweet Lady Jane and you get a slice or a whole cake of the chocolate triple berry and up your happiness today and maybe if you aren't Los Angeles based maybe try giving it a a go yourself you know bake a chocolate cake and get some berries going in, in between the icing layers and on top and just go all out. You're so right, Gigi, because if I was going to bake a cake at home, I would never think to like put some fresh berries in there, but that's delicious. That's I love, a great I idea. love that. So with that, that is all we have for you in this, the pursuit of the pod, the podcast, all about our thoughts and opinions on happiness. We want to thank you for listening to Sophomore Citizens, the podcast by young people for young people with new episodes every Thursday and Sunday. So we will see you wise babies then. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Sophomore Citizens and be sure to leave a five-star review.